Hey everyone, this is Johnny Martinez, pastor of Restoration Church, and welcome to our podcast. We hope this podcast inspires you and encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Well, good morning, church. It's really good to be with each and every one of you today. If you have your Bibles, will you open it to Mark chapter 12, Mark chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 38 through 40 today, verses 38 through 40. Like my wife Christina said, we're so glad that you are here. If this is your first time, welcome. We're so glad that you are with us uh, here today. If you're watching online through Facebook or YouTube, we're also glad that you've tuned in uh, as well. So we're just really thankful to spend um, the Lord's Day here. Uh, st- studying his word, learning about him. And so uh, if you haven't been with us for a while or if you're new, we've been going through the gospel of Mark section by section, uh, kind of verse by verse type of thing. And so today we find ourselves in uh, Mark chapter 12, verses 38 through 40. And I titled the message today. I want to speak to you from this title, Marks of Ungodly Leadership, Marks of Ungodly leadership. Uh, uh, Let me give you some context before we dive in. It's the last week of Jesus's life, and the day is Tuesday. And if you study the gospel of Mark, Tuesday is filled with a bunch of conflict uh, with the religious leaders. Jesus has been kind of on the defensive um, against the religious leaders. They've been asking him a bunch of questions. They've been trying to tempt him and trip him up and ruin his reputation and all kinds of stuff. Uh, but, on, but today, actually yesterday, or last, I'm sorry, last Sunday, uh, Jesus went on the offensive. Uh, he started asking questions. He was no longer playing defense. He went uh, to start asking them questions. Uh, and again, the, um, the conflict continues. And so Jesus is inside the temple teaching people. And he's teaching the crowd, he's teaching his disciples, and among the crowd and among the disciples are the religious leaders of the day. So that's the context. It's Tuesday, the last week of Jesus' life. He's had a lot of conflict. He's teaching in the temple, and now he has a crowd, the disciples, and the religious leaders of the day who are listening in on his teachings. And again, he's going after the scribes now. He's going after the religious leaders now. He's on the offensive. So if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and read the passage Uh, in its entirety. Only three verses, but I really believe these verses are going to speak to us, uh, speak to our lives today. It says this, and in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you. We honor you in this place. You are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of our adoration. And God, I pray that you would speak to us powerfully through your spirit today. That you would speak to us clearly. That you would help us be aware of what this text is trying to tell us and how it applies to our lives Jesus, we want to be more like you each and every day. Lead us as a church. Lead us as a family today. Would you remove any distractions that we may have so we can focus our attention, our mind, and our heart on your word. God, we thank you. We honor you. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. 
One of the best pieces of advice I've ever received was from my former lead pastor, Joe Derrigo. Joe Derrigo, I remember as a young youth pastor, he said, Johnny, he said this, he said, character over competence. Character over competence. Character is always greater than competence. He said, competence will take you to the top, but only character will keep you at the top. And isn't that true? Isn't that true? Over the last 10 to 15 years, it's very unfortunate that we have seen many, many pastors fall from grace. Many, many church leaders make the news over some type of character issue, usually dealing with money, sex, and power, right? That's what makes the news. Uh, the, The news doesn't celebrate a faithful pastor, right? You know, today, faithful pastor of 65 years old who displayed Christ-like character retires. Let's go celebrate him. No one does that. Oh boy, when a pastor falls morally, you better believe that it's going to be in the news. Again, character over competence every single time. And as church leaders, as church pastors, not sure if you know, But there are certain qualities, marks, characteristics of a pastor, of an elder that we need to live by. Uh, Let me just take you there so you can see 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, 1 through 7. This is for anybody who's a pastor or elder of a church. It says, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, so overseer, pastor, shepherd, elder, it's all the same thing. He desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Woo! Ouch. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fail, fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. That's church leader qualifications for an elder, for a pastor. And if a pastor or church leader does not measure up to those qualifications, he is disqualified from ministry. And so as church leaders and pastors, we have a standard from God on how to live. And I hope you realize that. Now, as we know what godly leadership looks like or should look like, In today's passage, Jesus tells us what ungodly leadership looks like. He's going to contrast that. What does ungodly leadership look like? And that's what Jesus is going to show us today. We see in verse 38 of this passage today, Jesus says, Beware. Beware of this type of ungodly leadership. He tells tells his disciples, Beware of this type of leadership. And it's very interesting because here's the thing. 
The Bible wasn't written to us, but it was written for us. Therefore, in a weird way, Jesus kind of knew that thousands of years later, there was going to be ungodly leadership in the church. And not only was he telling his disciples, beware of this type of leadership to them, but he's telling us today, beware of certain type of church leadership. And so what I want to do is I just want to point out the five marks, characteristics, or traits of ungodly leadership with five words. So if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down. And the first is this, recognition. The scribes loved to be recognized. They just loved to be recognized. They demanded recognition. Look at verse 38 with me in your Bibles. It says, and in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes. Now, I want you to notice something. I want you to notice that Jesus says, beware of the scribes who do this, okay? So he's not saying, beware of all scribes, beware of all religious leaders. He's saying, beware of religious leaders who do these things, right? Because here's the thing, in our context and in our time, maybe some of us have been hurt by the church, by bad leadership. And church hurt is very, very painful. But just because one pastor might have hurt you in the past, that doesn't make all pastors hurtful. It's certain pastors who do certain things. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He says, beware of scribes who do the following. So what are they doing, right? What are they doing? Well, they're walking around in long robes. The scribes would walk around wearing their ceremonial or festive robes. They were long, white robes, kind of very similar to those of the priest or temple officials. And they would walk around these long robes because they wanted to show off their status as religious leaders. They wanted to show off that they were devout men, noble men, uh, men who knew the law. And so they were just really showing off by what, by what they wore. Matthew 23, verse 5, gives us a little more insight into this. He says, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. He says, for they make their uh, phylacteries broad and their fringes long. So what is a phylactery? What is a phylactery? Uh, a flag, if, you, if you've ever seen a picture of a Jewish person, they have like a little box on their forehead here. They have a box on their forehead, and in that, forehead, in that box, uh, there's scripture in it. There's scripture in that, uh, in that little box, and so they make it bigger. They make that box bigger. They broaden it to show off how much knowledge they have, how much uh, insight they have, or they would wear these long robes with these tassels, and they would elongate the tassels, and so there was competitions between the scribes, like, my tassels are longer than yours, man. You're, you don't have long enough tassels. I'm so much more righteous than you, and they were just doing it to show off. And to get recognition, that's the whole point of what they were doing and about what they were wearing. And I was thinking about it. How does that relate to today? Especially when it comes to church leaders. You know, I often, <laughs> I'm just going to be real and not, okay, by the way, we're real and honest here at Restoration. If you just, I was giving, telling you that real quick. Um, sometimes when I look at church leaders today, I'm like, is he a pastor or is he like in fashion? Like, I don't know. Like, 
like just very flamboyant, very out there. And I'm just like, is that a pastor? Like, I don't, you know what I'm saying? I don't, and you know, if that's his style and that's totally cool. Like there's no, if everyone has a different style, maybe I'm just jealous because I'm just not cool enough to wear that kind of stuff, you know? And, uh, and, but, but I, I just kind of wonder sometimes. Uh, there's, there's some Instagram accounts that put uh, pictures of pastors wearing expensive and outrageous clothes and shoes and, I mean, outrageous, right? Now, here's the thing. There's nothing sinful in wearing outrageous clothes, what I think is outrageous, uh, outrageous clothes or catchy clothes or expensive clothes, like really expensive clothes, like more than our monthly mortgage payment. There's nothing sinful about that. Although I personally don't think it's wise, but there's nothing sinful. But I often wonder why do church leaders these days wear it? As if, and if it's their style and they love it and they do it out of genuine heart, totally cool, right? Like totally cool. But I often wonder, are they trying to dress a certain way, be a certain way, to draw attention to themselves, to draw more likes? more shares. I often wonder that. I don't know if you do, but, but I often wonder why so flamboyant? Why, why so, you know, uh, expressive? Like, why? And I often wonder what's really at the root of it. Is it really to be noticed? Is it to be recognized? Because the truth is sometimes our outward appearance could distract from the message of the gospel. It really can. And so I think church leaders need to be really wise and not distracting from that. Now, again, if they like to dress that way, totally cool. But again, I often wonder, why do they dress that way? You see, a lot of times I believe it is because of some type of recognition. Some type of recognition. They want to be known for something. They, they want their popularity to grow. But man, I hope and pray that here at Restoration, we always have an attitude of humility like John the Baptist, when he says that he must increase and I must decrease. That's what John the Baptist said. Jesus gets all the recognition. His fame might increase, not mine. I wish we could always have that type of attitude with humility. You see, godly leadership is more concerned with being clothed with love and good works. That's the type of clothing that really matters. That's the type of outer garment that really matters. Why? Because man looks at the outward appearance, but God, he looks at your heart. You could fool people by what you wear, by what church leaders wear, but you can't fool God because he sees what's inside, right? And so I believe that a mark of a true leader, church leader, is not what you wear on the outside, but who you are on the inside. That's what matters. It's not what you wear on the outside that makes you cool and effective and righteous and godly. It's right here. It's on the inside. And so these religious leaders, they wanted recognition. They wanted fame. And it reminds me of someone that did the opposite. John Calvin, 16th century reformer, love, love his theology, giant of the faith, of the Christian faith, 
in about 1564, he started slowing down. He was getting really sick. And so he spent his final months bedridden. And finally, on May uh, 1564, he passed away. But this is what he said. He said, I want to be buried in an unmarked grave. That's what he said. I want to be buried in an unmarked grave. I don't want anyone to know about me. Just put me in the dirt. That's it. I don't want any recognition at all. Can we say that about ourselves on this side of eternity? I want to live as someone with an unmarked grave. Can we say that on the other side of eternity? I'm just going back to the dust. But all my life I pointed to Jesus. One, recognition. Ungodly leadership. It's all about recognition, wanting to be known. Number two, respect. Respect. They demanded respect, these religious leaders. 38b, it says, and they like greetings in the marketplaces. They liked greetings in the marketplaces. So when these religious leaders, these scribes, would walk through the marketplaces, they were, they were greeted, uh, hey, rabbi, hey, master, hey, teacher, hey, father. And so they liked it. Like they liked the respect that they were getting it. And not, not only did they like it, they demanded respect and they expected respect from the people. But we know that true leadership, right, Respect is not given. Respect is earned. You earn respect. It's not simply just given to you. In that culture, a person must greet one who is greater than he in the knowledge of the Torah. So if you, if you, if you saw a scribe or someone who really knew the law of Moses, you would stand up and greet them. So just think about it. Think about how prideful and arrogant these religious leaders were as they were walking through the marketplaces and people would just stand up and greet them. Man, that would puff up your pride real quick, wouldn't it? I think it would. So they demanded respect. I love what Craig Rochelle says about respect because they love the titles, right? Rabbi, master, teacher, father. This is what I love this. He says, people will follow a leader with a heart faster than a leader with a title. Come on, that's good. People will follow a leader with a heart faster than a leader with a title. A title can give you power, but no authority. You can't. And that's what they were demanding. And that's what ungodly leadership is. They demand respect. They didn't earn it. Number three, Rank. By the way, they all start with R's because I'm a preacher, and that's just the way I think. So they all start. Three is rank. Wait till you see number four. Okay. Uh, verse 39. It says, and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feast. They had the best seats. If we had a scribe today, he would be sitting courtside at the Lakers game. Okay. They had courtside seats. That's what they had the best seats in the house. The best seats in the synagogue were the seats that faced the congregation. And behind the scribe, they had all the scrolls. Now, just think about that. Just think about how weird that would look. If I would sit up here in this big old chair with all of my theology books behind me, what would you think? I, it's just weird, right? Like, it'd just be weird. Like, look at me. Look at all my congregation. I'm just so powerful. That, that, but that's the attitude they had. 
That's the attitude they had. They would look at the people. They had the scrolls behind them. They were so puffed up and thought it was just all about rank. The best seats were also the seats at feasts. The feasts were all about social status, all about where one ranks in the social system. The best seats and the best food were given to the most honored guest. And so just, man, their pride, right? They, they were always at, at, at the synagogue and, and the feast. They were always trying to like jock for position. Where am I in the org chart? Always striving to be up top. I remember, I remember uh, growing up uh, in the church, and I don't know if they still do this today, but even in Christian churches, uh, I remember just thinking it was weird. Uh, I haven't processed it until this passage, but I remember being a kid and going to church, and I remember seeing the pastor on stage in a chair, like facing the congregation. And I always just thought that was weird to me. Like, I just thought it was weird, you know, and I don't know, I don't know what it is, and I don't, I don't know if they still do it, but I don't know. I, I, just, I just thought it was really, really interesting that, that they would do that. I just never, never liked it. Like, why can't the pastor just sit with everybody, <laughs> with everybody else, right? Like, he's just, the pastor's just one, one of us. And I just thought it was really weird. And then I'll tell you the real reason why I don't sit up here facing you. I'll tell you the real reason. Christina and I went to a, uh, in college, when I was in college, I had to go to this church and, and visit a church and write a paper on a church, but it was, it was a church that had the pastor uh, sitting down facing the congregation, right? And uh, just, like I said, I'm just being honest. I'm being honest. Uh, the pastor had a hole, a hole in his pants, in his, in his crotch area. I mean, he really did. He, he really did. And so I'm just like, do I look? Do I laugh? Do I not look? You know, I looked and I laughed. I mean, come on. It was just like, what's going on, right? So that's the real reason why I don't do that. It was just, I'm just Bad idea. Church leaders must be servant leaders. It's not about rank. It's not about where you're in the org chart. That doesn't matter. Church leaders must be servant leaders. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he took the org chart and flipped it on its head. He said, you want to lead? Start at the bottom. Here's what I found. And he's talking to me today right now. Here's what I found. And he said, yeah, you want to lead? Flip the org chart. You're at the bottom. It starts at the bottom. It starts at the bottom. And here's the thing. Not only did Jesus say it, he did it. Jesus wasn't worried about recognition, reputation, rank, none of that garbage. Philippians chapter 2, 3 through 8. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of other people. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count uh, equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, doing what? By taking the form of a servant. God in the flesh didn't use his divine powers for his benefit, but he came down and took on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Self-sacrificing leadership. 
You see, true leadership is not about how many people are under you, but about how many people you lift up. That's what true leadership is. It's not about how many people are under you in the org chart. It's about how many people you built up with your words, with your actions. That is true leadership. Number four, rip off. I told you four was good. They ripped people off. They were rip offs. They were greedy people, greedy religious leaders. Verse 40, who devour widows' houses. They were greedy, man. They were so money-hungry church leaders. And isn't it true that we still see that today? See, the word devour here has this sense of, a, of an animal preying on, the, on another animal. They were devouring widows' houses. What does that mean? Well, there's kind of three interpretations, and I, I kind of believe all three play into this. The first is that they would exploit the estate of whom they were appointed guardians. So these religious leaders were appointed guardians as, uh, over elderly, vulnerable people, and they would exploit them for uh, their money. Number two, they abused the widow's hospitality and generosity. These religious leaders, because they were so prideful and arrogant, they would take advantage of the widow's hospitality. It was already difficult to be a widow. Could you imagine a church leader taking advantage of you? Three, they, could have, they would manipulate widows to give all of their money to the temple. They would manipulate widows to sacrifice everything to the church. And guess who was benefiting, benefiting from that money? The religious leaders, the scribes. Nothing has changed. That's why Jesus said, beware. Beware. In October of 2021, just last year, a pastor at a church in Tyler, Texas, was helping taking care of an elderly couple at his church. And he had power of attorney over them. Well, he thought it was a good idea to open up a bank account and credit cards under their name and rack up $35,000 in debt to pay his own expenses. I remember talking to one of my friends, reliable friend, and he said, dude, I think there's something going up with my church. I'm like, what's going on? Well, it's weird because I don't know if this is normal, but every Sunday after church, the pastor, he like takes the money home and he says he's going to pray for it. Yeah, I'm sure he's praying for the money. I'm sure he's praying for it. He's spending it. He's spending it. Televangelists who prey on vulnerable people charlatans. If you give in a thousand, if you sow a seed, man, that makes me cringe. If you sow a seed of a thousand dollars and God will give you $10,000. And when God doesn't give them $10,000, well, then you must not have enough faith. You must be sinning. 
send some more money because I need to buy my $34 million jet. Let's be real. Let's be real. You see, a godly church leader is not worried about filling his pockets. He's worried about filling heaven. A godly church leader. That's a mark of a church leader. God will provide. God is faithful. If God provides for the birds, will he not provide for church leaders? Absolutely. But then you have many church leaders like this who just rip people off. I believe there's a special place in hell for them. I really do. I really do. Now, does that mean that your pastor should be poor? Right? Take a vow of poverty as a pastor? No, I don't. I encourage you to study 1 Timothy chapter 5 and see what it says about taking care of your pastor and about your pastors. But a pastor shouldn't be driving around in a $34 million jet. He shouldn't. He, should, he shouldn't also take a vow of poverty. 1 Timothy chapter 5, I encourage you to study that. Number five and the last one, religious. They were super religious. They were just shallow, superficial, ungodly religious people with no true relationship with God. They were all proclamation, no transformation. Just religious people. Verse 40, it says, And for a pretense, they would make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. It says pretense. You see, here's the thing. It's not about the length of the prayer. That's not the, that's not the problem here. The problem is not long prayers or short prayers. Long prayers are good. Short prayers are good too. It's not about the length of the prayer. It's the motive behind the prayer. And so they would pray to show off. They would pray to make themselves look more religious using big words, using theological terms where people were like, I don't even know what you're saying, but you sound smart. So if you sound smart, then you must be godly. Biblical knowledge does not equal godliness. Godliness equals godliness. It doesn't matter how much you know. It matters what you do with what you know. And so Jesus says, well, you want recognition. You want to rip people off. You want to worry about rank. You want to worry about your reputation. Well, you're going to get what you deserve. There Actions and attitudes will not go unpunished. They will face judgment for their ungodly leadership of the flock. They will. So what does this mean for us? That's what the passage means. What does it mean for us? Three brief things that I just want us to really take away for our lives. The first is this, and it's plain in the text. Beware of ungodly leadership. Beware, church, of ungodly leadership. The truth is that um, we just don't know what the future holds, obviously, and um, God forbid something ever were to happen to me, or God forbid that God 
moves me or takes me away from Restoration Church, which I hope he doesn't. I want to retire here. But if he does, beware of who comes in next. Now that you understand what ungodly leadership looks like and what godly leadership looks like, beware. Be able to discern leadership. Or maybe um, you might go to a different church for whatever reason it is. You got to move or whatever it may be. I mean, I'm sure you would never leave restoration for, for no other reason than moving. I'm sure you would. But if God ever leads you away from restoration, wherever you go, beware. Beware of that leader. And not only where you go, but who you listen to online. Beware of ungodly leadership. I hope and I pray that this would never be me. I hope and I pray that one day, 10, 15 Years from now, when restoration's big and we have thousands of people, I pray that if I start acting a fool, that you would love me enough to remind me of this passage. I really do. And will you pray for me that by God's grace, I will never live like that. But I hope and pray you love me enough to say, hey, Snap out of it. Get it together. Because I need you. I need you to keep me accountable. I really do. Number two, beware of imitating ungodly leadership. Beware of imitating ungodly leadership. I think there's a secondary application here for all believers to beware of imitating this type of lifestyle in our leadership. Many of you are leaders in your home. Many of you are leaders in your job. You're leaders. You're leaders. And you have influence. And I pray and I hope that you would display godly leadership in your home and in your work. So beware of imitating ungodly leadership. Do you love and strive for recognition? Do you like to be recognized? Do you strive to be at the top of the org chart? Causes some pride in you because you're at the top. Do you love titles? Do you live for titles? Do you live for likes? Do you live for reputation? Do you just demand and love the respect that you get from people? Do you take advantage of others? Do you use others? Do you manipulate others? Beware of imitating this type of leadership. I love what Warren Wearsby says about leadership and, and godliness. He says, if a person is important only because of the uniform he wears, the title he bears, or the office he holds, then his important, importance is artificial. It is character that makes a person valuable, and nobody can give you character. You must develop it yourself as you walk with God. No one can give you character. 
godly character. It's you and God as he's working powerfully in your life through the power of the Spirit. Strive for godly character as you lead others. And third and lastly, beware of pursuing church leadership. Beware of pursuing church leadership, whether it's a small group leader, whether it's a team leader, or maybe God has called you to full-time ministry one day. Beware of pursuing church leadership. Why? James 3, verse 1 Chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. You will be held more accountable than others. Beware of, those, beware of pursuing church leadership. If you ever find yourself wanting to pursue ministry or leadership in any capacity in the church, check your motives. Why are you wanting to pursue church leadership? And if you have the wrong motives, crucify those motives. Crucify those wrong motives in your heart. Here's why. Because when we go into church leadership with the wrong motives, we will hurt people. Bad theology hurts people, but bad pastors hurt people as well. Check your motives. Check your motives. Crucify your motives. And here's the other thing about going into ministry with the wrong motives. You will never last. You will never last in ministry if you go in with the wrong motives. Why? Because when, 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 when tough times come, and they will, when your name is dragged through the mud, when you want to quit, when no one's showing up, when there's no progress, when you're worried, if you don't have the right motives, you will quit. You will quit. You're going to quit. We don't need quitters. We don't need quitters in the church. We need godly leadership. We need godly leadership, church. And we need godly people. We do. We do. There's no other one, there's no one else who displayed godly leadership like Christ. Perfect example of what godly leadership looked like. He didn't worry about rank, recognition, reputation, and he certainly wasn't ripping widows off. He was a leader who was life-giving, hope-giving, sacrificing of himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. Without you, this ministry would not be possible. If you feel led to give, please use the link below as we seek to make a difference in people's lives. Also, please make sure to share this with your family and your friends. Again, thank you so much for listening.